Well, good morning, church. And let me say to you again, happy Mother's Day. This morning at all of our campuses, uh, we were able to celebrate and pray over families in what we call parent-child dedication. And and what I love about Battle Creek Church is we not only say we're the church for the next generation, we actually act like the church uh, for the next generation. And we're committed uh, to helping people advance in their journey with Christ, all the way from small babies, all the way into uh, senior adulthood or until you meet Jesus face-to-face. And uh, your campus pastor just talked to you about uh, next Sunday being two things. Number one, a summer offering in the morning. That's a way for us to pre-fund all that God's going to do through kids camps and and student camps and mission trips and all that's going to happen this summer. And and then secondly, uh, the worship night next Sunday evening. And and this is different than worship nights we've had before in that before we usually just say, hey, everybody come to the Broken Arrow campus. We don't believe there will be room if we say to everybody come to the Broken Arrow campus. So we're going to do it at every uh, campus. And so worship night, we'll stream part, my parts, uh, but there'll be a live band at each of the campuses. And so you join us next Sunday for a special day uh, in the life of our church. I want us to begin praying together. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you if you're able to get on your knees uh, at your chair and bow before the Lord. If you're not able to get on your knees, then just bow your heart uh, before the Lord. But I want to just, uh, I have a prayer request, a personal uh, prayer request today that I want us to pray together. In fact, my mom is watching from a hospital room today. Uh, two weeks ago tomorrow, since we were together last, she was admitted into the hospital, has developed some uh, lung issues, is on a BiPAP, and, and actually is fighting uh, for her life. And, and so I want you to pray with me if I could ask you to do that for a miracle in, in her life. Her name is Joanne Hamaya. And so I want to ask you across all of our campuses, if you would, uh, just get on your knee before the Lord or bow your heart uh, before the Lord. And would you just say, yes, Lord. Would you say, Lord, whatever you want today, I want to be a part of it. And I ask that you let the living word of God jump off the pages into my life today. Let it change me. Uh, May it be applicable to my life this week. Would you tell the Holy Spirit you believe in his ministry and ask him to move with freedom across our campuses and in the lives of the men and women and boys and girls who are here today? Father, uh, we submit before you. We bow before you. We ask that you uh, would teach us today and minister to us and change us. And and Father, we do pray together uh, across these campuses for my mom. And we pray for healing in her body. I thank you, Jehovah Rapha, that you are the healer. I thank you, Jesus, that I can't find a single time in Scripture where you didn't heal someone who asked for it. So I ask today that you would heal her. I thank you for the stripes that were put upon your back, Jesus, and I apply them to my mom today in that hospital room for her healing of all disease. And so, Father, we pray for a miracle in her life. And today in this place, would you do everything you want to do, both in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Let me remind you, we're in a series called Jesus is the Answer, and we're going through the Gospel of John. And the outline or the skeleton to the book of John are these seven miracles that Jesus performs that John chose to record. They make up the outline of the whole gospel. And I want to remind you, uh, there's four Greek words in the gospels for miracle. One of those Greek words points to the power of the miracle. One of them points to the wonder of the miracle. The third one points to the work of the miracle. But the word that John uses is the word simeon. 
And it's our word in English, sign. He's pointing to the sign of the miracle. In other words, these are signposts pointing to Jesus and an aspect of Jesus. And these are signposts that John is giving us that we can grab a hold of. And so let's jump today to John chapter 6 to the fifth miracle in the, or sign, according to John, in the gospel of John. John chapter 6, we'll begin reading in verse 16, and then I'll back up and get a running start in a moment. But, but verse 16 says, that evening, uh, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore uh, to wait for him. Now, what is that evening about? What's the context? Well, we set the context last week. Uh, last week, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. And what Jesus did in that miracle is show them how inadequate they were and how incredibly adequate he is to meet our needs. And so the very next day, they go looking for him. Okay. So back up a couple of verses to verse 14, and, and let's get a running start here. When the people saw him, when they saw him do this miraculous sign, uh, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. In other words, Jesus did not want to be their king. Why? Because he's already their God. He, he didn't need to fulfill their expectations of him. He has expectations for them uh, to fulfill. And, and by the way, his expectations would mean going on a journey that would lead them through a storm. Okay, so let's keep reading in, in verse uh, 17. But as the darkness fell, Jesus still hadn't come back. They got in the boat, headed across the lake to Capernaum. Now, the Sea of Galilee, let me help you understand the geography. The Sea of Galilee is not a sea in the way that you and I think of sea. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is just one of the names. In fact, I think there's seven names uh, for, for this body of water. It's actually a lake in the way that you and I would refer to it. It's a lake. And uh, lake is a relative term, right? Because in America, you have Grand Lake and you have Lake Erie. They're both lakes, but only one shows up on your globe, right? And, and so around the Sea of Galilee, there are mountains. Uh, in fact, the Sea of Galilee sits in a bowl. And, and when the conditions are just right, they can produce a storm. Many of you have lived around the Great Lakes, and you know what is referred to as lake effect, where there's no weather on the forecast whatsoever, and all of a sudden it comes out of nowhere and dumps seven feet of snow in an hour on you. That's the lake effect, and it's created by the geography. And that's exactly what happens around the Sea of Galilee. Look at the next verse. Soon a gale swept down upon them, and the sea grew very rough. John's painting the picture of what happens with the weather in, in that area. Luke 8 describes the wind and the raging waves in, in this storm. Matthew calls it a furious storm that came without warning. And he says they are fighting against the waves. And, and what happens is these winds descend out of the mountains directly into the middle of the lake, which creates a violent uh, result. And, and so the storms that hit there are a result of the difference and variation in the temperature uh, at the seacoast and in the mountains that are just to the east and just to the north of them. Just to the north of them, uh, the air will hit those mountains. In fact, the Sea of Galilee is 600 feet, 680 feet below sea level. 
but it's surrounded by hills to the east and to the north. In fact, Mount Hermon, which is just like 25 miles, 30 miles to the north, it is 2,000 feet above sea level. So in just a matter of a few miles, the, the ground just drops and the temperature changes drastically. In fact, the air hits those mountains and it will rise up and cool off. I, there, there are days in Israel where you could go down to Elot and, and scuba dive and, and in the same day, make your way up to Mount Hermon and snow ski. That's exactly what's happening in this place. And, and, and so this cool, dry air happens and, and the warm air as it rises gets colder and colder. But then it comes through this channel of mountains that runs straight down into the Sea uh, of Galilee. And when that weather hits that lake, it stirs it up. And the Sea of Galilee is relatively shallow. In fact, at its deepest place in the deepest part of the year, it's only 200 feet deep. And so a shallow lake can get whipped up uh, more rapidly than a deep lake where all the energy is readily absorbed. But, but you contrast these air masses, and, and what happens is a storm can happen very quickly and without warning. In fact, I've been on that lake at one point where, where that happened, and uh, usually it does not happen. But small boats are out in the middle of the sea when this happens are in immediate danger, okay? And, and by the way, these guys had all seen that happen numbers of times in, in their lives. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat, and they were terrified. Now, both Matthew and Mark uh, say that the guys thought they saw a ghost, in this moment. In fact, look at verse uh, 20. It says, but he called out to them, don't be afraid. I I am here. Now I want you to do this in your Bible. I want you to just take a pen and make an X through that word because here does not appear in the original Greek. Uh, In fact, all Jesus says is I am. And, And literally what Jesus says word for word is I am. Don't be afraid. Now, let me remind you, along the seven miracles that make up the skeleton of the Gospel of John, there are seven statements, I am statements, where Jesus says, I am, right? I am the bread of life. I am the living water. And over and over and over, he says, I am seven times. But, but they, all of them, all seven of them are based on that one name of God, I am. Jesus was using that word, on purpose. You remember in the Old Testament when Moses asked God, if I go to Pharaoh, who am I going to say sent me? And God said, you tell them, I am sent you. And so Jesus multiple times is echoing that phrase, I am. This is one of those times where he's echoing the phrase, I am. I am who I am. I am God. Now look at what the Bible goes on Uh, to say in verse 21, then they were eager to let him in the boat and immediately they arrived at their destination. Now, you know, the story, Jesus is walking on the water. Now, every time we take a trip to Israel, uh, in fact, we're going in January, but every time we take a trip to Israel, I take the group out on one of those ancient boats. Now they're not ancient boats. They just look like ancient boats and they're sized uh, like ancient boats, but they have life preservers. And and I told you one time the waves were about six feet tall and they're like, we got to get off this lake. But usually it's very calm. 
In fact, in that boat in the middle of the lake, it's one of the most fascinating places in the world because you can look 360 all the way around you and you can point it all out. That's Cana. That's where he did the wedding. That's where he ran the pigs off that cliff. See that cliff? That's where the pigs came running off the cliff. See, that's where he did this miracle and that's where he did that miracle and that's where he cast the demons out. And you can see it all from one spot. In fact, you point, that's where he fed the 5,000. That's where the Sermon on the Mount happened. And it's unbelievable to be in the middle of that lake. In fact, your your whole world goes, wow, I can't believe what I'm seeing from this one boat. In fact, there's an enormous percentage of the miracles that Jesus performed happened right on the shore uh, of this lake. In fact, uh, one of the uh, worship moments that happened on the lake, it's amazing to worship out there on the boat. But I've told the guides for years, if you would just take a, a, a deck made of plexiglass about six inches below the surface of the water, we could have a real show because I get out and walk on the water, right? And, and, and do that whole devotional from that place. You say, what's the application of this story? Here's the main application. You will have storms in your life. You will have storms in your life. In fact, look at your neighbor and say, you will have storms. And then look the other way and say, you too, right? Here, here's what I need you to hear. The objective of your discipleship is not for you to learn how to avoid all the storms of life. The objective is for you to be weather-tested so that you can walk through the storms of life. And I am walking through a storm. My family is walking through a storm over the last few weeks. It's amazing to me how applicable what, what, what we wrote months and months ago is to my own life today. And these very three questions I'm about to give you, and I want you to write them in your Bible if you would. Uh, three questions you ought to ask every time you enter a storm and you find yourself in a storm. I'm asking those questions uh, today. Uh, of my own situation. Okay. Three questions. Here's question number one. How did I get here? In other words, is this a storm of my own making? Some of them are, right? We create them. Uh, Is this just a situation I have found myself in or did God allow me uh, to get into this spot? And if he did allow it, then why did he allow it? And the answer, by the way, is always going to be to make me stronger. It's interesting to me that in verse 17, it says that Jesus had not yet returned or come back. So the 12 disciples make the decision at that moment to leave without Jesus. Now, I don't want to make too much of this because the Bible doesn't make this point explicitly clear. Maybe Jesus told them, if I don't show up by such and such a time, take off without me. But I do think there is a lesson here, an application here in this verse, that many times we find ourselves in a storm because we go without Jesus. And a lot of times our prayers are, God, this is what I'm about to do. And God, this is what I'm going to do. And if this is what I'm going to do, then you bless what I'm about to do, God. You bless it, God. When what we ought to be praying is, God, should I do this? Is this your will, God? Because if this is not your will for me, it's off limits for me. But when we find ourselves in the middle of a storm, maybe the first thing we ought to ask is, is there something that I need to ask you for forgiveness of, God? Is there some sin in my life, some misstep in my life that has opened me up to this storm? You you might have done something to put yourself in the position that you find yourself in. And, And the storm could be a result of a bad choice. It could be a result of a string of bad choices, and now we are paying for it. That does not mean, and I, what, don't hear what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying is that this is the punishment of God. What I am saying is that sin always has a price. 
And we call it consequences, right? On the other hand, this situation may not be because you messed up at all, right? In Matthew 14, Jesus sent them into uh, the storm. But, but you watch this play out. He, in fact, in that passage, what Jesus was doing was protecting them by sending them into the storm. He was protecting them because he knew the crowd wanted to make Jesus king by force. And he's like, no, no, that's not what we want. And he sent them out into the storm. And in fact, he went up on the mountain to pray for them. And so whatever storm you're in, know that Jesus is praying for you. And many times Jesus will send you into the storm to stretch your faith, to grow your faith. And if you're obeying God and he sends you into that storm, just know you're going to be okay. But what we do is why, 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 why? He allows it for a reason. In fact, you could say it this way. Jesus either sent you into the storm or he allowed the storm to happen. Great illustration of that is the book of Job. Remember all the things that happened to Job? God allowed those things to happen. In fact, songwriters have written songs that include that lyric that God giveth and God taketh away. Do you know that Job was wrong when he wrote that? That God giveth and God taketh away, and yet we're singing it. God didn't take anything away from Job. Read the whole story. The devil was after Job. Don't give God the blame for what was happening in that story. The devil was after Job. And you say, well, how do I sort all this out? Here's how I do it. Good God, bad devil. When I can't figure it out, that's what I say to myself. In fact, I've said that in my truck or in my car hundreds of times. Good God, bad devil. In in other words, your storm may be the result of a messed up choice or it's just the result of a messed up world. Either way, you got to keep moving through the storm. Uh, Understanding how you got there will help you see your way out of it. But, But a lot of times when they're in the middle of it, it's very hard to discern right? We can't figure it out. We can't see. We, we, we don't know what's happening. In fact, Matthew's gospel gives us a clue here. He uses two adjectives to describe the storm in Matthew 14. He, he says, first of all, the storm was dark. And second of all, he says the storm was desolate. Now, what do those mean? Dark means you can't see right? I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of a storm that hit in the middle of broad daylight and all of a sudden it was pitch black dark like midnight or or you're driving somewhere and you're going through a storm and it's just dark, dark. In fact, you're hoping the lightning will strike for a moment so that you can see something up ahead. Uh, So that's dark. Desolate. What does desolate mean? Desolate means you're all alone. Okay, that's the picture that Matthew's trying to point out is that it's dark and you're all alone. And two things you've got to do in the middle of the storm. The first one is turn the light on. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a a light unto my path. In other words, in those moments when we don't know what to do, when we can't see, we got to go to the word of God and put the word of God inside us in the middle of the storm. Listen, I, I, I've read all kinds of reports from doctors on what's going on with respiratory and what's going on with kidney function and what's going on with skin and what's going on with blood sugar and what's going on with all of that. I can't spend all of my energy on those reports. Why? Because I got to go to the report, the word of God. And the word of God is the report. And so where does the word of God point us? It, it points us back to Jesus. John 1, remember John 1 says there's nothing made that wasn't made by him or through him. He was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But everything is by Him, through Him, for Him, and in Him, right? We studied that even in the book of Colossians. Well, what does that mean? That means He made the lake. 
Well, if he made it, he knows how deep it is. He understands how the storm works. And in this story, Jesus said, they're going to make it. He told them that. I'll see you on the other side. And I think in this moment of storm, they forgot what Jesus had just done. What had he just done? There's 12 doggy bags of food from the miracle he just performed out of nothing. And it's on the boat with them, all of this food. And, and in Matthew, Jesus says, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Well, that word, you of little faith, why do you doubt in the Greek means to waver mentally. That's the picture. Like we're on a seesaw. I don't know if you feel that way. Sometimes I feel like I'm wavering mentally. I go this way and then this way, this way and then this way, right? Double-minded in all our ways, tossed back and forth like a wave. That's why Paul says we have to be transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. And as the pastor of this church, let me tell you that one of the greatest prayers I have for this body of believers and heart's desire that I have is that we would know the Word of God. We would know what he says about us. We would know what we have in him so that we can stand up in the storms that we will walk through in life. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Another illustration, Matthew 7. Remember Matthew 7? There's two guys, one obeyed, one disobeyed. But for both of them, the storms came, the winds blew, and the waters rose. There's no respecter of men, storms. But there is a choice to be made in the midst of a storm. Will I obey or not? But I don't know if you've been there, but you will be there at one point in your life where you will wonder, where is Jesus? Where is God and why is this happening? And let me just tell you, before you find yourself in that situation, his message to you is, I'm here, I'm coming, and I want you to trust me. Another thing we have to do, not just turn the light on, but we got to stop isolating ourselves. Desolate means you're all alone. Isolate means you did it. You made yourself all alone. When we're desolate, we got to stop isolating. That is not the prescription in, in that moment. In fact, that's the prescription the devil wants for us, to get us away from the pack so that he can take us out, which leads us to the very next question that we ask in the middle of the storm. Number one is, how did I get here? Number two is, who's with me? Jesus did not leave them. They left Jesus in this story. But, but even then, they were not alone. Why? Because he promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. In other words, he is an ever-present help in times of trouble. In the moment of their greatest need, look who shows up in the story. Verse 19. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat. They're, he's walking on the water. We use that phrase in, in modern English and vernacular. We say, he, he walks on water. We're, we're talking about somebody who's really good, right? They never did anything wrong. They can walk on water. But, but in Bible days, you didn't use that phrase about people. You only use that phrase. In fact, if you said he can walk on water, it meant he's God or a God, because only gods can walk on the water. And when Jesus comes walking on the water, they're afraid, they're terrified, they're scared. Why? They think they've seen a ghost. Why do they think that? Because they cannot calculate what they are seeing in their brains. Listen, the, the disciples, you have to pay attention to the gospels. They did not sign up to be disciples because they believed he was God. 
They believed he was a rabbi, and they wanted to be chosen by a rabbi. They, they, over time, they know he is very special. Over time, they know he is performing miracles. But other rabbis perform miracles. But, but they did not yet think that he was at equal standing with God. In fact, it's not until after the resurrection when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, that any of them actually declare with their mouths him to be Yahweh. But here he is walking on the water, and they're like, is that God? Is he really God? And to remove any doubt, God, Jesus says, I am. They knew that. He just says, I, I am. Don't be afraid. I, I am. And maybe over the winds and uh, the wind and the waves, maybe they could barely hear him, but, but it had to make the hairs on the back of their neck stand up. And it had to send shivers down their spine to think, is it true? And, and here's the principle. When we get our eyes off the storm and onto our God, we can walk through any problem this life brings us. Look, look at what Paul says in Second Corinthians. He says, so we don't look at the troubles. You should underline that. That we can see now. Well, what do we do? Well, rather, we fix our gaze. I love that phrase, fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Literally what he's saying here is take your eyes off the temporary and put them on what's eternal. What's eternal? Jesus is eternal. The one who was and is and is to come. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. In other words, evaluate your storm. Evaluate your storm in light of Him. We have to allow Him to be Jesus in our situation. And Jesus is bigger than any storm you will ever face. In fact, there's three things. I didn't write them down for you. You can write them down in your Bible. Three things Jesus is declaring here in, in this story. He, number one, he's, he's declaring His deity when He says, I am. That's the name of God. He's declaring, I am God and I am in charge and I am greater than the storm. He's declaring his presence when he says, I am here. I am not, I will be. I am not, I have been. I am who I am and I am present. The third thing he's declaring is his abundance. I am enough. In other words, what you need, you will find in Jesus Christ. To the artist, he says, I'm altogether lovely. To the architect, he declares, I am the chief cornerstone. To, to the banker, he declares, I am the hidden treasure. To the baker, I am the bread of life. To the biologist, I am life. To the builder, I am the sure foundation. To the doctor, I am the great physician. To the educator, I am the great teacher. To the farmer, I am the Lord over the harvest. To the florist, I am the rose of Sharon. To the geologist, I am the rock of ages. To the judge, I am the righteous judge. To the jeweler, I am the pearl of great price. To the lawyer, I am your advocate in the heavens. To the publisher, I bring good tidings of great joy. To the philosopher, I am the wisdom of God. To the preacher, I am the word of God. To the sculptor, I am the living stone. To the statesman, I'm the desire of all nations. To the traveler, I am the new and the living way. And to the sinner, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
So fill in the blank. Whatever you need. He's the answer. I, I, I was thinking it this morning. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there is no other. He, he's the only way. I am and be not afraid. When you see the storm in light of who Jesus is, you will not be afraid. Which is greater, the storm or the one who uh, takes care of the storm? Listen, Jesus wants to take you somewhere. And often that somewhere will go through a storm. And whether he authors it or allows it, he will hold your hand through it. But you have to learn to see to the other side if you want to walk with confidence. And that's the third question. you, you, you got to ask yourself in the midst of a storm is, where am I going? Where am I going? Verse 21 says they got Jesus into the boat and immediately they are at their destination. What, what does that mean? It means somehow they were transported to the other side of the lake. But symbolically, what that means for me and you is this. Once we get Jesus with us, we're right where we need to be. Once we get Jesus with us, we're headed in the right direction. Jesus wants to take you on a journey. We like to use that phrase around here all the time, your faith journey. In fact, we say the vision of Battle Creek Church is glorifying God by helping all people of all ages, all the time, to advance in their journey with Jesus Christ. In other words, we know life is a pathway, and the pathway leads somewhere. And the goal is not to duck and take cover in a storm and, and move on past your destiny. No, no, no. The, the, the goal is to hold Jesus' hand, and you will end up where you need to be. In Matthew's gospel, he tells it a little different than, than John does. And he includes a whole part of the story, a really cool part of the story, that, that Peter sees Jesus in Matthew's version, recognizes him, and says, Jesus, if that's you, then call me out. He wants to walk out to Jesus. He wants to go on this journey. And, and, and you know the story. He, he climbs out of the boat onto the water. He takes several steps on top of the water. And then his attention is diverted from Jesus to the wind and, and, and the waves, and, and he sinks. And if you don't know the Bible story, you're like, Pastor, you, you, you're telling me to step out on faith. Look what happened to Peter. Well, you're right. The next day they had to drag the bottom of the lake, pull his body out. John went into psychoanalysis. They had a funeral in Capernaum. Jesus preached a great funeral message. The mayor even, even came. Thomas was doubting it the whole time, said we shouldn't have gone, we shouldn't have gone, we shouldn't have gone. That's not what happened. The, the, the Bible says immediately Jesus stuck out his hand to catch him. What's the application? Our faith may fail, but Jesus will not. Think about this for a moment. There's only two ways he could have got back in the boat. Either he walked on water or he went back in the boat in the arms of Jesus. I'll take either. Either way. And as soon as they're back in the boat, they're on the other side and the storm was over. And church, I just need you to hear me. Just like the scripture starts out in this text, they were in the fourth watch. In, in Bible times, we are in the fourth watch. 
There are storms all around. And a day is coming when he will come and say, come home, my child. But until he does, let's walk on water right here in this church and let him conquer all of our storms. Let's pray together. Let me pray for you across all of our campuses today. Father, I pray right now for your church. And I pray you'd strengthen it, you'd grow it, you'd bless it. And and if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord or your Savior, can I tell you that's your application? We're so glad you're here. Maybe you're here because your mama compelled you to come on Mother's Day. I I love that that's what mamas do. It's to say, "I I want all of my family in church together. And maybe you're here and you think that's the reason you're here. You've misunderstood the plan of God. God wants a relationship with you. Not just through your mama. He wants a relationship with you personally. He loves you and wants you to know him personally. And so if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to help you do that. I want to lead you in a prayer. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Not Lord of the universe, but Lord of your life. You're making him the Lord of your life. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I want to help you with the confession part. The believing, that's a decision of your heart and your will today. But I want you to confess the prayer after me out loud. You're going to hear men and women and boys and girls at every campus praying out loud. No one's going to pray alone. But if you want to trust Jesus today, would you just pray and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. And the best way that I know how. I turn my back on my sin, and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for saving me. Now, before we say amen, I want to pray for two more groups of people. The the first group of people is those who are dealing with infertility. Mother's Day can be a painful day for people who are in that storm. And I don't want today to be painful for you. I want it to be glorious for you. And so I would love to pray for you. I don't know why, but Jesus answers this prayer in this church often. And and so if you're here today at all of our campuses and you're walking through a struggle with infertility, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor. I want you to pray for me. We we want a baby. We want a baby. We want a baby. We want a baby. Just just raise your hand. In fact, hold it up while I pray as a a confession to God across all of our camps. Say, he's praying for me, God. He's praying for me. Father, I pray right now over each of these families. I pray you would meet them right where they are. Wherever they're seated in a chair today, Holy Spirit, sit right there on them. Would you just wrap your arms around them? Would you love on them? And Father, I pray today in the authority of Jesus that you are the one who opens the womb. And I ask that you would do that for these families today that you would give them the very desire of their heart and that they would know you are walking with them. And Father, every step in this journey, whether you choose to use science and and doctors and medicine, or or you just want to create uh, through a immaculate conception, a baby in their lives. Father, you want to work a miracle. You want them to adopt. I don't know the path, but I just pray right now you would make a way for the desire of their heart to be granted to them. 
And I want to pray thirdly for those of you who are in the middle of a storm today. If that's you, you say, I'm in one today. Pray for me, Pastor. Would you just raise your hand and let me pray for you? Hold it up while I pray. Father, I pray right now for every hand across all these campuses today. I pray right in the middle of the storm that they are walking through. I thank you, Jesus, that you're aware of it. You're stronger than it. You're greater than it. And that you would, Father, enable them to evaluate the storm. How did they get there? Who is with them? And where are they going? And Father, I thank you that you are bigger than any storm we will ever face. And so right now for your kids, I pray you'd meet them right where they are. You would hold their hand and you would walk them to the other side of this storm. In Jesus' name we pray. And together we all say amen and amen. Would you thank the Lord today for meeting us in this place?